All right. Thank you, Lucas. Thank you, Tom. Uh, how y'all doing? Man, the whole second row is empty here. Kaplan's on here. Oh, Kaplan. Uh, so last week I shared with you our former lead pastor, David Cobia. His youngest son, Brendan, was in a scooter accident uh, and was in ICU for three days. And last night, David uh, gave me, sent me a text uh, with an update for you all to continue to be praying. He says, Brendan is home and beginning the process of recovery walking around the house with the help of a walker and working with three post-op doctors for various issues. Overall, progressing well. Please pray for continued recovery, no complications, navigation of the healthcare system adventure, and for Dee and David as they try to juggle work responsibilities, etc. So please continue to hold their whole family in prayer, especially Brendan. Um, so last Sunday, we started our huge series called Three Years with Jesus, and uh, talking about what this looks like uh, to carry this with you throughout the week, that this just won't be a Sunday morning experience, but that you'll be having conversations around the dinner table with family, with friends, at the coffee shop, uh, and in our faith communities, which are the way we really do life together, the way we experience church together are in our faith communities. And so last week you heard from Christine, who gave announcements this morning about their faith community. And this morning I want to invite Eric and Kim to come on up. They're going to share about their faith community. While they're on their way up, I want to give a big thank you to our partner, Creative Interfaces, Dave and Karen Robinson. Uh, I took a couple of horrible photos of the experience, but uh, it was absolutely fabulous. Uh, Minus Mary, the concert, they did just such terrifically gifted musicians and great music, a great night. How many people do you think were there? Well over 50, right? About 80 people. It was fantastic. So, yeah, Eric and Kim, come on up. Oh. So, Eric and Kim are in uh, our smallest faith community. <laughs> That's an inside joke for those who are actually in the faith community. They're in our largest faith community. Uh, and uh, they're going to share with you about their faith community and when they meet, what it's like, and whatever else you want to share about your faith community experience and why you should join a faith community. All right. Thank you. So, yeah, this, uh, my name's Eric. This is Kim. Um, we meet in a faith community group that meets every Tuesday, and we rotate houses, um, different people host, and everyone brings a meal, and we share a meal together, and then we talk about, we sing some songs, some worship songs, and then we talk about the sermon um, from last Sunday, and as well as whatever else is going on in our lives, um, whether prayer requests or uh, praises or anything like that. And um, yeah, it's been a really good experience. Um, I'd encourage you guys to join one if you're not in one, uh, because it's a really great way to dig deeper and um, kind of plug into a smaller community where you can really get to know um, the other members in the community. Um, yeah, do you have anything else to add? <laughs> yeah, I, um, yeah it's, it's really great to kind of um, meet with everyone like in the week and get like a bit of a refresher from Sunday and um, really know what it's like to fellowship so it's great I love it um, it's awesome to get to know everybody closer within the church so that's good um, <laughs> it's and it's really fun too and it's great to kind of break bread with everyone and kind of get that community feeling so yeah <laughs> awesome thank you guys so uh, 
If you're interested in uh, connecting with these guys, you can talk to Eric or Kim, or uh, the leaders. There's a co-leadership of this group, and we have Kevin and Lori Carnahan, Rebecca right next to Lori, and John Martin right behind them. So they all just take over that section right there, are the, the co-leaders of that group. Uh, if you're interested at all in joining a faith community of any type, if you're interested, when do the faith communities meet? Where do they meet? What, what are the different faith communities like? You can see me, myself, or Brian Tabor, our student's pastor, who's over in the student center this morning. So um, one more thing I want to share with you before we dive in. We're going to look at Luke 18 this morning. Um, as I was dreaming about this idea of three years with Jesus and what this could look like over the next three years as we explore the Gospels together, uh, there's a guy who came to mind for me who has done a ton of work on what it looks like to practice the way of Jesus. And I thought, what, wouldn't it be great if we could get him to come and teach on a Sunday and then do an afternoon session with us. So uh, my friend Mark Scandrett, he lives in the city. He's lived in the city for the past 20 years, uh, living in intentional community in the city. He lives in the mission. And so he's seen the mission change drastically over the last 20 years as he's lived there with his family. Uh, he's an author, speaker. He's written several books and uh, really immerses himself in the idea of living out the way of Jesus. And so he's going to be teaching here on November 12th and then going to do an afternoon session with us uh, that same day. So mark your calendars for that. So Luke 18, let's pray and we'll jump in. God, thank you for Bay Marin. Thank you for the life of this community and the opportunity to get to be a part of it. God, thank you for the things we get to do together as a community. Uh, celebrating good music uh, Friday night and sharing life together and working together yesterday at the Student Center and getting to be here this morning singing praises to you and opening the text and partaking of the bread and the cup. God, we continue to pray for Brendan Cobia. Pray that you would fully heal his body, be with Dean and David as they navigate health care and work and family. God, I pray that you would bless them and that uh, Brendan would heal quickly. God, we continue to pray for the many people, uh, not only in our country, but uh, surrounding islands who have been deeply affected by Hurricane Irma and Hurricane Harvey. God, I pray that you would restore them, that they could experience your favor in their lives, your presence, your love, and hope for a new day. Bless us now, God, as we open the scriptures. Speak to us by your spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right. So we're going to look at another parable. That these first few weeks of this series, are uh, we're looking at stories Jesus told. So we're looking at different parables. Last week, we looked at the parable of the lost coin and the, the woman who searched for her lost coin. And this morning, we're going to look at uh, this parable of a widow who goes to an unjust judge. And in verse 1, it says, Jesus told this parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. So we have a judge in this town who just really 
doesn't care. He doesn't care what God thinks of him. He doesn't care what people think. Uh, he finds himself in a position of power, in a position where he gets to make judgments, and he doesn't really care what people think of it, whether the divine or the human. It just doesn't matter to him. Uh, in the ancient Hebrew scriptures, God had been very clear about what judges were to do. And one of the things God said about judges was hear the disputes between your people and judge fairly. Whether the case is between two Israelites or between an Israelite and a foreigner residing among you, do not show partiality in judging. Hear both small and great alike. And so God had been very clear with judges. Doesn't matter who it is, whether native born or immigrant, doesn't matter who it is, whether great or small, judge fairly and hear every case. Doesn't matter if it's a huge case or a small case, you are to hear it and you are to be fair and impartial. And here, Jesus is telling a story about a judge who just simply doesn't care. And a widow who comes to this judge. There was a widow, verse three, in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Grant me justice against my adversary. Now, widows in the time of Jesus, uh, they were, or women in the time of Jesus, were solely dependent on their husbands. If their husband died, the estate did not go to the widow. The estate went to the oldest living heir. And so if that was a son, it went to your son. If it was a brother of the husband, it went to the brother. If not, then it went to another heir somewhere down the line. And so it's very likely, we, we don't know for sure, but from this story, it's very likely that this woman who is going to this judge and saying, give me justice against my adversary, it has to do with whoever inherited her husband's estate. And that that person, that heir, is not caring for her needs. Because one of the things that you were to do if you inherited the estate is you were to care for the widow's needs. Now this woman has, in many regards, lost all social status, has, has lost her economic viability. She has lost not just her husband, but in many ways, her very way of life. And so she's coming to this judge because this unjust judge who doesn't care what God thinks, doesn't care what people thinks, this unjust judge is her only hope for survival. And so she keeps coming to him. Now God had given many directions about how to care for widows and orphans and those oppressed among you. One of the things God said was, do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. This is just one example of many of God's commands about how to care for the least among you, widows being one of them. And here we see a widow who is not being cared for. She has an adversary, someone who has inherited the estate and is not caring for her needs. And so she keeps coming to this judge over and over and over again, pleading for justice. Verse four, for some time 
he refused. So he simply doesn't care, so he refused. Perhaps he's waiting for the adversary to come and give him a bribe to, to rule against her and for him. We don't know. What we know is he refused to listen to the case. He wasn't going to listen, even though the command from God is listen to every case, whether great or small. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Uh, not very likely that a widow is going to attack a judge. Uh, but the, the literal language here is, so she won't come and strike me under the eye. This, was often, this, this phrase was often used metaphorically of, so she won't wear me out. Uh, this widow is annoying him. What's his motive in giving her justice? <laughs> just leave me alone. Will you just leave me alone. She keeps pestering him, keeps coming back over and over and over again. And then we get a little window into his internal monologue. And he's like, I just, I can't handle this anymore. So I'll give her justice. He, he doesn't give her justice because it's the right thing to do. He gives her justice because it frankly helps him. He doesn't have to deal with it anymore. Isn't this an odd story for Jesus to tell? Uh, and then, this is what Jesus says. Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Uh, it's kind of this interesting last line of the parable. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? As I was studying this week, as I was reading through this parable over and over again, I really struggled with it. Um, and frankly, uh, some of the commentaries I read are all over the map on what they think Jesus was getting at with this parable. Uh, in reading it, if you just give it a surface reading, here's what I think the danger is. If there's something in your life you've been praying for, for a long time, whether for a, a child, uh, or for your marriage, or for a loved one in your life to get healed from something, uh, fill in the blank. If there's something you've been praying for for a long time and it's not happening, the, the danger of a surface reading of a parable like this is you're not praying enough. You're not praying hard enough. Uh, you, need, you just need to be more persistent and then God will answer your prayer. Uh, I think that would be a very horrible reading of this parable. And, and this is why it's so important for us to keep in mind the entire biblical narrative, uh, that the best interpretation of scripture is scripture. And when we look at other scripture texts in light of this text, we can see somewhat of what Jesus is talking about. Uh, 
the one text I read from Deuteronomy that said, for you were slaves in Egypt and God brought you out. How long were the Israelites in slavery in Egypt? 400 years. 400 years. Uh, for 400 years, they had been crying out for justice. So, I don't think it's a good reading of the text to say, just pray harder, and then God's going to answer your prayer. That's simply not the way God works within a fallen world where there is sin and death and disaster. Um, when we think about the hurricanes that have struck or the earthquake that hit Mexico, I, there was... Uh, there was a big-name Christian, if you will. I'm not going to say his name, <clears throat> but yes, it was a male. Uh, <laughs> who said, God sent the hurricanes to humble people. So w what you're saying is, if you had enough resources to get out, or if you have enough resources to rebuild, you're okay, but if you were already poor... God sent the hurricanes to humble you. Uh, that's what's implicit in a statement like that. We live in a world where things happen that we don't have good answers for, whether on a global scale or on a very personal scale. This is what has historically been called the problem of pain or the problem of evil. Uh, there are no easy answers for these things in our world. And when we uh, believe a lie that says, if you just pray harder, or if you just earn God's favor more, or if you just do more for God, then you'll be okay. It's simply not true. Uh, the psalmist, he's crying out to God in Psalm 44 and says, Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. Uh, he is crying out to God and saying, Wake up! Where are you, God? Would you just wake up and pay attention to my misery. Um, sometimes we wait and we keep praying and we keep praying and we keep praying and we long for something to change. And sometimes we just feel like God isn't present in the midst of it. We, we live in an age when there are more human slaves today than on any other time in human history. Uh, why? Uh, why would God allow this? Uh, the guy who founded um, IJM, International Justice Mission, I heard him speaking one time, and he said, you know, so many times when people see the work I do uh, in helping free people from slavery, uh, one of the biggest questions is always, where is God in this? And he said, one day I just felt like God was saying, where is the church? Where is the church? Uh, 
because God is present in his people. And when his people are on the move, something happens. And so we don't have good answers for the hurricanes and other natural disasters, but what we are is the church and we can respond with hope and with healing. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, when he was in jail, uh, wrote this letter. He says, we know through painful experience that freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. Reminds us of this par parable, doesn't it? The widow demanding, demanding justice from the judge. The judge in a position of power. The widow on the underside of power. He says, frankly, I have yet to engage in a direct action campaign that was well-timed in the view of those who have not suffered unduly from the disease of segregation. Next slide. For years now, I have heard the word wait. It rings in the ear of every Negro with piercing familiarity. This wait has almost always meant never. We must come to see with one of our distinguished jurists that justice too long delayed is justice denied. Uh, when you think about the history of African Americans in our country and how long they had to wait and kept being told to wait, and in, in many regards, even today, are told to wait for equality. Uh, this just ongoing waiting for change, for redemption, for healing. Uh, in Psalm 13, the psalmist says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? Uh, this morning, what, what have you been longing for? Whether for yourself or someone in your life, or something in the world? What, what have you been longing for that you just feel like isn't happening? Uh, one, uh, one author I read on this parable, I liked something he had to say about verse eight. He says, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. <clears throat> he admitted there's no good answers for this, but one thing he said is the, the, what's also translated soon, we'll get justice soon, he says the, the answer is found in the cross. The answer is found in the cross that would come very soon for Jesus. And I've uh, kind of paraphrased what he said, but he says the cross and resurrection are most likely the reference to soon. On the cross, Jesus issued a totally disreputable verdict of forgiveness. Died so we didn't have to. And that is why the judgment is there is no condemnation because there is no condemner. Nobody but a bad judge could issue a favorable judgment on our hopeless case. Nobody but a reckless God could possibly have been big hearted enough to throw a going out of business sale for the likes of us. That the work of the cross is so, so utterly confounds our ideas of justice. God's idea of justice is a going out of business sale. It's freedom, it's forgiveness, it's mercy, it's grace. Uh, 
It's what we long for in the deep inner parts of our being, this kind of freedom that Jesus came to offer us. And we recognize that we, we often live between Good Friday and Easter. We often live in Holy Saturday where we're dumbfounded and confused by what's going on in our own life or in the world. And, and we sit in that waiting place, waiting for hope, waiting for Easter, waiting for resurrection, waiting ultimately for the return of Christ to come and make all things right, because things aren't all right, are they? And yet we, the church, we get to be the hands and feet of Jesus to each other. We get to be the ones who bring the words of hope to one another. We get to be the answer to someone's prayer in some capacity, to be present to them in their hurt in their pain, in their confusion, in their lostness. We get to be the presence of Christ to each other. Maybe like me, you, you've wrestled for a long time with evil in the world, with pain in the world. What, why? Um, there, there's very little I've ever read that I've found helpful around this topic. Um, unless it's an author who wrestles with the problem honestly, who doesn't try to give trite answers, but actually wrestles with it. Uh, one was a novel, The Shack, uh, which I thought was absolutely fabulous. Um, I know many people think the guy's a heretic. Uh, I loved the book. I uh, thought it was actually quite profound theologically, the social Trinitarianism he, he worked with uh, Young, Paul Young. Um, and then the way he wrestled with suffering. He did not give any easy answers. He just let it be raw and painful. Um, a more academic book I read that uh, this guy, David Bentley Hart, really wrestled with it without giving easy answers. Uh, he wrote it after the tsunami. Um, and uh, I want to read to you something he said. The cross of Christ is not, after all, simply an eternal validation of pain and death, but their overthrow. We must understand the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, not as an act of divine impotence, but of divine power. He subverts death and makes a way through it to new life destroying its power and making us, by participation in Christ, more than conquerors. Easter utterly confounds the rulers of this age. Easter is an act of rebellion against all false necessity and all illegitimate or misused authority, all cruelty and heartless chance. It liberates us from servitude to and terror before the elements. It emancipates us from fate. It overcomes the world. Easter should make rebels of us all. Easter should make rebels of us all. That, that in the face of suffering, in the face of heartache, in the face of the elements, we can live with confidence and hope in a risen Christ. 
and that that risen Christ will be true to his word, that he will return and make all things right. Uh, when Jesus tells this parable about a widow coming to an unjust judge and pleading her case, there's uh, all throughout the Gospels, Jesus talks about prayer at different points. We see Jesus often going away to what's called a lonely or solitary place to pray. And when Jesus' disciples ask Jesus, teach us how to pray, the prayer Jesus taught his disciples included these lines, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. What that means is that God's will is not being fully done on earth as it is in heaven. It is not God's will for natural disasters to happen. Uh, when God created the world, he never created death. He did not intend death to be a part of the beautiful creation he made. Death entered in as a parasite. Evil entered in as a parasite. It can only exist off of the goodness. And it is the cross and resurrection of Christ that defeats death and defeats that parasite. And we live in the in-between. We are waiting and longing for the return of Christ to finally see all things made right. And so I believe that a part of our human task is to be agents of hope in the world, to be active agents of hope, bringing Christ's hope while we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So as we come to the table and take the bread and dip it in the cup and remember the cross of Christ and remember the power of Christ's resurrection, uh, before we partake of this, let's say this prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So God, as we come to the table this morning, whatever each person is carrying, God, I pray that you would meet them in this place. As we take the bread and dip it in the cup, God, may we know your presence, your healing power in our lives. God, I pray that you would create in us greater desire than ever before to be your people who are agents of hope in the world, bringing your love, your kindness, your forgiveness, all, all of the best that you've created in us, God. Bring it out, draw it out, and compel us forward, God. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.